Hello everybody, Sukreo here, and you're listening to your blank year of stories. So yet again, we're a day late, but that's because my sister was over like all day, and then I just didn't want to record with her over, you know? So. It doesn't really matter anyways, that much. I'm just gonna jump into it though, because I don't have- WAIT I DO HAVE THINGS TO TALK ABOUT! Sorry, sorry, I just remembered Thanksgiving happened, which, like, if you celebrate Thanksgiving, um, chill for you, I guess. I don't, I don't know, because I've seen videos of, like, uh, (laughs) I've seen, like, videos where, like, content creators in Europe or whatever are celebrating Thanksgiving. So I really don't know anymore if it's just America. So, um, anyway, I made sweet potato pie for Thanksgiving and that came out good. Like, the fam enjoyed. It was the most eaten dessert at Thanksgiving. Second only to my mom's cheesecake, actually. I forgot the cheesecake was there. But, like, I think still it was the most eaten, you know? But, anyway. Uh, what else? Is there anything else I can say that isn't just me being happy of the sweet potato pie that I made coming out good? Not really. So now I will jump into that. I just almost forgot to mention the sweet potato pie. So last time we left off on, like, a cliffhanger, because it wasn't really a cliffhanger, but some people could call it that. Hansel and Gretel in the Broken Kingdom. Once upon a time, a little girl stopped into- Stopped? A little girl stopped into a tavern that stood along the side of a road. She shook her traveling cloak as she stood in the doorway, and wet slush fell from it. From it to the rough wooden floor. Outside, the last gaps of, gasps of winter tossed the branches of the trees, and the road was a mess of water and ice. Gretel sat down near the fireplace, and the tavern owner brought her warm milk in a pewter mug. She paid, f- she paid for it from the pouch the villagers had given her when she'd left them. Then she sat and stared gloomily at the logs in the hearth their ashy gray outside spreading, deadening the fire inside. She knew just what that felt like. Months. Months on the road as the leaves had turned from red to brown and then to fallen, as the snow had begun to drift down from the gray sky, softly at first and then heavily, piling onto the frozen road in front of Gretel in white, shifting mounds. She had wrapped her cloak around her around her tightly, but still the cold seeped into her skin, down to her bones. From time to time, her feet would slide out from beneath her as she walked, sending her sprawling into a mound of fluffy snow, or worse, a deep puddle of icy water. She walked without knowing where she was going, and more and more every day, without caring where she was going either. She had lived with parents and without, in homes and in the wild. Nothing was good. Oh, yes. And Hansel was dead. She laid her little golden head beside the pewter mug on the worn tavern table. The table was sticky from spilled drinks. Gretel didn't care. She closed her eyes. There was a bang, and the door of the inn swung open. Gretel raised her head. A man stood in the doorway. It's back, he cried, his voice cracking with fear. It's back. The people of the tavern all rose to their feet at once. Kintyberg is gone, the man wailed. Cries rose up from all around. A few people pushed past the man out the tavern door and onto the slushy road and began to run. What do you mean, gone? someone demanded. It's all gone, the man in the doorway said. The houses, Meister Deck, Meister Beck's, the bakery, Frau Hopper's. The people? I don't know, but there were bodies. He shook his head. Many bodies. The room seemed to groan altogether. Some people sat down, others covered their faces. 
I was out on the hill above town, the man said. I saw it circling, circling over the village. I would have run back to warn them, but there wasn't time. Besides, I had to stay with this one. From behind the man's leg, a tiny girl peeked out. She was hiding her face in her hands, but you could tell that her cheeks were stained with dirt and the lines of dried tears. The man went on. It circled three or four times. I could hear people shouting. Then it banked and began to descend. It swept in on Frau Hopper's house, the big stone one, tore half the building off. I saw somebody, maybe Frau Hopper, fly through, through the air about a hundred yards and then crash to the ground. The man shuddered. And after that, someone asked. The man shuddered again but said no more. An elderly man nearby guided him to a seat and brought him a drink. He put his head in his hands. A large, heavy-set woman came from behind the bar and lifted the little girl up and cradled her and took her up some stairs in the back. When the door was closed behind the woman with the little girl, the somber tavern suddenly erupted with anxious voices. Gretel tried to make sense of it, but they spoke all together, and too loudly. What were they talking about? What had done this thing? Then, gradually, she was able to pick up one word that was being repeated over and over in the din. Dragon. Gretel was standing near three people. Two men, a tall and a bearded one, and a woman whose back was toward Gretel. They say it's human, said the bearded man. Half human, replied the tall one, and half dragon, of course. My priest said it was once a man, but now he's possessed by a dragon spirit, said the woman. It would have to be a devil man to be possessed by a dragon. No, the woman replied. The priest said no. He said a sad soul, a desperate soul. That's what he said. Yes, I heard that too, the bearded man agreed. The tall one rubbed his stubbly chin. They killed that They killed that man over in Walden. They thought he was the dragon. Guess he wasn't then. Guess not. He had children too. They killed six brothers over in Hamelstadt, said the woman. No, that's a rumor. It isn't. My cousin saw it happen. Terrible, said the man with the beard. Terrible, said the tall man. Terrible, said the woman. Excuse me, said Gretel. She was standing at the woman's elbow. The woman didn't seem to hear her. Gretel tugged at the woman's sleeve. Excuse me, she said again. The woman turned around. Her face was pale. Her hair hung loose and limp and her, her light eyes were circled with black. What is it? the woman said. What kingdom is this? Gretel asked. Grim, the kingdom, the woman said. The kingdom of Grim. Or it was, the bearded man said ruefully. Now it's the ruins of Grim. Where, where are you looking for? The, said the tall man. Gretel's throat felt sick, thick. Do the king and queen have any children? She asked quietly. The woman looked at the men and then back at her. Did once. Twins. A boy and a girl. But they were lost. Poor darlings. Disappeared in the night. Just before the dragon came, the man with the beard added. That's right. Just before, agreed, agreed the tall one. But where are you trying to get to? Gretel hesitated. I... I'm not sure, she replied. She thanked the group and walked to the door of the inn. Two men were standing beside it, arguing about the dragon. She stood behind them, half waiting, half thinking. At length, one noticed her, nudged the other, and they both turned to her. Can I help you, dearie? She bit her bottom lip. After a moment, she asked, which way is the castle? She said it as if she wasn't sure she wanted to know. The men pointed with blunt workmen's fingers. Gretel nodded silently and stepped out the door of the tavern onto the road. She looked in the direction they pointed. Even the road looked rough, painful. She looked the other way. Hansel traveled down the wet, icy roads, a solitary boy with charcoal eyes and curly black hair laden with flakes of snow. Behind him followed two obedient oxen, pulling two positively enormous carts. The first cart was filled with golden apples, a thousand of them, round and firm and cool. Golden as in made of gold, of course. Not not golden delicious. Golden expensive. The second cart was filled with barrels of wine. Barrels stacked so high that they tottered and creaked with every turning in the road. There was enough wine in those barrels to keep a whole village in drink for a whole year. 
The apples and the wine and the carts and the oxen were all gifts from the two villages, of course. You see, after burying Johans and making a little headstone for him, faithful was all it said. Hansel had gone on to the village of the golden apples, where he told them of the mouse gnawing at the roots of their tree. They killed it, and the apples began to grow immediately, and so they gave him as a gift a thousand golden apples and the cart and the quiet, obedient, incredibly large ox. Next he had gone to the village of the wine, where he told them of the frog stopping up their fountain. Once they had killed it, the wine began to flow again, and they gave Hansel as a gift the barrels of wine, the cart, and another quiet, obedient, incredibly large ox. He named the oxen Ivy and Betty, which is strange, because oxen are boys. That doesn't come into the story much. I just thought I'd tell you. So So Hansel, having bested the devil and saved the two villages, and now leading a fortune in wine and gold, set out for the kingdom of Grimm. It wasn't hard to get directions, either. Everyone can point you toward a kingdom where a dragon was. But Hansel's progress was slow, for he stopped at every village, every hamlet, every house and hovel he passed along the way, to ask if they had seen or heard anything of his sister, Gretel. But no one had. You mean Gretel, the old woman? No, my sister. Gretel, my sister's baby? No, my sister, and she's not a baby. I have a goat named Gretel. No. He may have had a fortune in gold and wine behind him, and two obedient oxen to follow him wherever he went. But Hansel's heart was as black and heavy as it had ever been, and his feet dragged in the mud and the ice. Without his sister, he did not want to go home, or face a dragon, or face his parents. Gretel stood at the door of the tavern, staring down the road. Coming toward her were two enormous ox carts, each capped like miniature mountains, with snow. Walking out in front of them was someone with dark hair, a small, dejected someone, whose feet dragged as he walked. There was something about the someone that made Gretel want to wait for him. As the carts drew nearer, her heart caught in her throat. With her fine, ocean-blue eyes, Gretel could now make out the someone's face. She cried aloud and tore off for him down the road. As Hansel drew closer to the kingdom, he seemed to see Gretel's Gretel everywhere, in bakeries, in upstairs windows, going into outhouses, which resulted in some pretty embarrassing moments, as you can imagine. Just up ahead, there was a girl standing at the doorway of a tavern, and, had he not known he was just seeing things, he would have sworn that that girl was Gretel, too. Then the girl was no longer standing at the door of the tavern. She was sprinting toward him, her long blonde hair flying out behind her. Hansel blinked. He stopped dragging his feet. He ran. Hansel and Gretel came together like two magnets meeting, like meteors that have been screaming through space toward this one moment of collision. They met in the middle with a bang, and instantly their feet went out from under them on the slick roadway. They landed, hard, in a puddle of icy mud. They stared at each other, sitting in the puddle, lost and then found, dead and then alive, covered in mud. Sitting on their behinds in three inches of filthy water, and they began to laugh. They threw their arms around each other and laughed until tears streamed down their faces. They sat, freezing, muddy, in a puddle in the middle of the road, with the gray sky overhead and their parents' castle waiting just a few miles away. They sat there and held each other until their arms went until their arms ached. Where have you been? Hansel asked as they pulled themselves out of the puddle. How are you alive? Gretel asked at just that same mo- at just the same moment. So they climbed up an ox cart and told each other about every single thing that had happened since the day of the hunt in, Leben- in the Lebenwald, and some things twice. And as they talked and laughed and gasped and talked some more, Ivy and Betty drew them closer and closer to home. Hansel and Gretel are coming to the hardest part now. It's true that they've been nearly eaten by a cannibalistic baker woman, and they've talked to the fiery sun and to the child-eating moon and to the kind stars, and they've journeyed to the crystal mountain, and that Gretel has cut off her own finger and caused somebody to be boiled alive, and that Hansel has been turned into a beast and been shot and skinned and gambled away, and that he went to hell and dressed up like the devil's grandmother, and that he's been chased by the devil himself and has held an old man's hand as he died. It's true that they... It's true they've done all those things, but sometimes coming home is the hardest thing of all. Soon, Hansel and Gretel found themselves in the heart of 
of the Kingdom of Grimm, driving through towns that still lived in their earliest memories. As they looked around, their stomachs began to twist into knots. Some of the towns looked like looked just as they remembered them, as if the memories of home could be modeled in wood and brick. But other towns, other memories of home, had been raised to the ground. Houses were torn apart, with their roofs and with their roofs and walls scattered and broken. Shops were burned, eviscerated, empty. Dead animals lay in the street, their bloated bellies stiffening as flies walked carefully across the surface of their eyeballs. The dragon, Gretel murmured. Hansel nodded and stared. As they passed through one gutted town, the door on the wreckage of a house began to move. Its hinges groaned angrily. Hansel leaned close to Gretel. She took his hand. Then, from the darkness, a head emerged. It was a child. He was very small, the size of the child Gretel had seen in the tavern. He was followed by an older child, a girl, and then a still older girl. Come out, the eldest said. Look. From behind them emerged their parents. The whole family was dirty, emaciated, with raggy clothes and frightened eyed eyes. Gretel said, this is not good. No, Hansel said, it isn't. Suddenly, Gretel jumped down from the cart and ran around to the back. I'm going to give them an apple, she shouted to Hansel. The family heard this, and the father and mother and three children all came out to the cart. You have apples? the father said. Not the kind you eat, Gretel told him, but this might help you. And she reached under the canvas top, tarp, took out an apple, and gave it to them. It's golden, the children cried, and the parents' eyes grew wide with wonder. But the eldest of the children, who was a few years older than Gretel, stared at her. She looks like the princess, the girl said. The family stopped marveling at the apple and looked at Gretel again. She does, the father said, and then, tentatively, he said, Your Highness? Gretel blushed. The eldest child had run around to the front of the cart. And the prince, she shouted. All the rest of their journey home, the family ran ahead of the ox cart, cheering and shouting for all to hear. The prince and princess are home! The prince and princess are home! People began to come out of their houses, slowly at first, peer, peering fearfully, bleh, 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 bleh. slowly at first, peering fearfully around their doors. But when they saw the two children sitting atop the ox carts, and the family walking before them, shouting at the top of their lungs, the villagers' frightened faces gradually lifted, and they came out into the warming sun to walk behind the ox carts and cheer. Soon Hansel and Gretel had a train of followers a thousand people strong, and still they gathered more as they went. They looked around them as the cheering, shouting, laughing at the cheering, shouting, laughing people. Never had they felt so special, so important. They were just children, after all. Word of their arrival ran ahead of them. It did not take long for it to reach the king and queen at the castle. At first, neither king nor queen believed it. There had been rumors of the children's return before, but as the reports were confirmed, and confirmed again, and then again, king and queen, father and mother, grew too agitated to wait any longer. They rushed to the great gate of the castle with pounding hearts and clasped hands, and the castle came into view, with its tall turrets and broad porticos. With its tall turrets and broad porticos, Gretel took her brother's hand. She held it so tight it began to hurt. He looked at her. Her face was lined with worry. You don't think she stopped. She began again. They won't they won't do what they did again? Slowly, Hansel shook his head. No, he said, and he repeated all faithful Johans had told him. They miss us, he concluded, and they're very sorry. Gretel nodded. Hansel found her hand and held it. When the ox carts were only a hundred feet from the gate, Hansel and Gretel got down. Their mother and father ran toward them, arms outstretched. Hansel and Gretel stood and watched them come. They did not reach out their arms. But, when their parents reached them, they allowed themselves to be lifted up and held. I am so sorry, was the first thing their father said. I am so sorry, was the first thing their mother said. And they kissed their children's cheeks and wet them with, with their tears and held them tight. They told the servants to care for the oxen and put the canvas-covered carts in the royal stables. And then they brought Hansel and Gretel into the castle, where they washed them and fed them. 
At last, the whole family sat before a glowing hearth in the, in the private wing of the castle. The shadows of flames danced on their faces. Tell us everything, the queen said, her face beaming. Where have you been? What have you done? How did you find your way home? Hansel and Gretel looked at their parents, and then at each other. They shrugged. Then they looked at the thick red rug on the floor. It will happen to you, dear reader, at some point in your life. You will face a moment very much like the one Hansel and Gretel are facing right now. In this moment, you will look at your parents and realize that, no matter what it sounds like they're saying, they're actually asking you for forgiveness. This is a very painful moment. You see, all of your life, you've been asking for forgiveness from them. From the age you can talk, you are apologizing for breaking this, forgetting that, hitting him, locking her in the garage, and so on. So, having them ask you for forgiveness probably sounds pretty good. But when this moment comes, you will probably be in a lot of pain, and you probably will not want to forgive them. In which case, what, you might ask, should you do? Well, you could yell at them and tell them about all the ways they've hurt you. This is a good thing to do once, because, believe me, they need to know. But this is the first step on the road to forgiveness. What if you're not ready, not even ready for that? You could pretend to forgive them. This I would not recommend. It's like, it's sort of like sleeping broken glass under the carpet. The floor still isn't clean, and so, but, and somebody's going to end up with a bloody sock. Finally, if you don't want to forgive them, and you don't want to fake it, you can always go with old reliable, changing the subject. After a moment, Hansel said, what about the dragon? And Gretel said, yes, tell us about that. The king and queen exchanged an anxious look. Their children, they were still children, were they not? Seemed so different from the little ones that had frolicked at the foot of their bed on the very day they'd been lost. These two were so serious, so silent, so distant, but the king and queen agreed with merely a look, as only parents can, that it was best to give them their time and their space, and so they told Hansel and Gretel all about the dragon. And the children, after the children had disappeared, the king explained, he had gone out every day to look for them. At first, he had taken hunting parties with him, but soon he had become so distraught that he insisted on going out alone. He described pushing through the wet leaves of early spring, persevering through the hailstorms of March and the thunderstorms of April to find them. But he never turned up a single trace of them, and it was on one of these days, when he was far from the castle, that the dragon had come. It began by circling in the sky, the queen said. The villagers below ran in a panic every which way, unsure where to go or what to do. When the dragon dove that first time, it screamed, and it was said that villages two miles away heard it. At the end of that first day, one town was utterly gone, and hundreds and hundreds of people were dead. Hansel said, what does it look like? The queen shuddered. It's hideous. Smooth black skin, like a snake's. Eyes that are golden, with no whites or pupils at all. Its wings are so thin, you can see through... You can see through them, and each of its talons and teeth look like sharp, long, long, sharp obsidian shards. When the king came home from that first night and saw what had happened, he assembled an army, and they rode out to meet the beast, but they could not find it. Every day for a week they rode around looking for the dragon, but never would it show its face. Then, one day, the army was under the direction of the captain of the guards, for the king had been taken ill. That day, the king said bitterly, the dragon had come, and it destroyed the army completely. Now there were few soldiers left in the kingdom, and fewer still who would face the dragon. There had been nothing anyone could do for a long time, except watch the dragon tear the kingdom apart. Gretel's brow furrowed. Well, she said at last, Hansel and I will come up with something. The king and queen smiled at her as if she were a very little child, and then they smiled at each other. That's very brave of you, the queen said gently, but we're just happy to have you home. You don't have to worry yourself about the dragon, dear. Gretel stood up. Her eyes were almost level with those of her seated parents. Almost. Has either of you ever had to cut off your own finger? She asked. They stared at her. She raised her left hand to show them. They gasped. No. No? How about killing people? How many people have you killed? 
Killed? Her father said. Yes, besides me and Hansel. The king's face grew red and his voice quiet. None, honey. Why? Well, we have. Two, Gretel said. Hansel stood up beside her. Has either of you been to hell? He asked. What? His parents cried. Been tortured by demons? Hansel added. They shook their heads and stared at their children. He gave them one last chance. Had the devil's head in your lap? Neither replied. Then I think you'd better leave this to us, Gretel said, and the two children went back to their room to talk things over. An hour later, they returned. So, Hansel said, dragons love treasure, right? At least in storybooks, Gretel added. Their parents looked at each other and shrugged. I guess, the king replied. Okay, let's say they do, Hansel said. We have a cartload of golden apples in the stable right now. His mother's eyes grew wide. You do? How on earth did you get that? The king asked. We'll explain later, Gretel said impatiently. Are you listening? The king and queen nodded sheepishly. Okay, so we take the cart of apples out to a clearing in the forest, Hansel said. We open it up, Gretel's, Gretel cut in, so the dragon can see it. Hopefully, he'll be attracted to the gold. We'll have to raise an army. They'll be hiding in the trees all around. Hansel said, with bows and arrows, and swords and axes, Gretel added, and when the dragon is distracted by the apples, the archers will fi fire at it from the cover of the trees. It won't know where the arrows are coming from, and it will be confused and, hopefully, wounded, and that's when everyone else will run out and attack it, Gretel concluded. Slowly, the queen began to nod. That's not a bad plan, she said. She turned to the king. Well, the king tried to find some fault or other, because that's what fathers do. Raising an army, he said. That will be difficult. Our people don't want to fight anymore. They're afraid. We have to try, Hansel said. It may not work, Gretel agreed, but it's better than doing nothing. After a few more perfunctory objections, their father finally had to admit that, indeed, it sounded like a pretty good plan. The queen, mushing a little, said, do you need all the apples for the plan? If so, I understand, of course. I just... The king smiled. Your mother would like an apple, he said. She's always had a passion for gold. That's how we met, you know. I heard, Gretel said. You stole her. I did not, the king said. Admit it, darling, the queen laughed. You sort of did. You stole mother? Hansel asked. Well, yes, I... I suppose I sort of did. The king laughed at himself, and the queen laughed some more. Hansel and Gretel began to smile. It was the first crack in their armor their parents had yet seen. The king and the queen, laughing and tearful, reached out their arms to their children. But with that, the children's smiles died away. After a moment, the king and queen lowered their arms. Gretel whispered, We have to go to bed now. It's late, and we have a lot to do tomorrow. Hansel stood without moving for a moment. Then he said, yes, that's true. And the two children turned away from their parents and went upstairs to bed. I feel like something is pressing down on my chest, Gretel said, lying in her bed that night, her eyes wide open. Something heavy and sharp and painful. I felt it for a long, long time now. Since we left, Hansel said, nodding in the darkness. Since just before we left, Gretel corrected him. There was silence. Then she said, it's been getting worse recently. It's never been so bad as it is right now. I feel like I can barely breathe. I know. I just want to take it and throw it off of me. Make someone else feel it and hold it and carry it for a while. The beds creaked and settled beneath them. They had been, they had been empty for a long time. At last, Hansel said, not just someone else. No, Gretel agreed, not just someone else. Hansel and Gretel and the Dragon. Oh man, I wish that page turn picked up on Mike. That was crispy. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. Once upon a time, on a bright but sunless morning, Hansel and Gretel stood in the middle of the town of Waxens. I'm gonna go with that. Of Waxen's tiny central square. Actually, it wasn't even a square. 
It was more like a grassy hole between the tavern and the bakery. Hansel and Gretel, uh, Hansel and Gretel wore their finest, most regal clothes, and so that all could see them, they stood on a table that had been brought out from the tavern. The people of Waxen gathered around the black-haired prince and the golden-blonde princess and peered at them wonderingly, expectantly. This was the strangest thing to have happened in their little town in anyone's memory. Not only was it unheard of for royalty to pay them a visit, unless in some grand procession that was just passing through, Hansel and Gretel had come alone. Alone! But the prince and princess had been the talk of the kingdom since their return. To see them? Here? Well, you can imagine that no self-respecting Waxenser would miss it. So they gathered in the grassy square, beneath birds that sang in the bare branches of the trees, and waited to hear what had brought the young prince and princess to their town. Hansel shifted un uneasily from foot to foot as he looked at the expect expectant faces before him. Waxen had been lucky so far. The dragon had not yet visited. But nonetheless, the people were thin from the lean times the dragon had brought to the kingdom, and they looked afraid. There seemed to be fear lingering at the corners of their mouths. A few even glanced up, to up at the sky periodically. Hansel didn't have to ask what they were looking for. Gretel saw all this, too, and then she began to speak to the people of Waxend. She told them she knew they were scared. She told them that she was scared, too. She told them that fear would not save them from the dragon. She told them that only courage would save them. They must fight it, she said. They must fight it. Gretel spoke, and the people of Waxend, grown men and women, listened to her. Not a single villager spoke. Not a single villager moved. When she had finished, every person was totally skipped. Still. And then someone shouted, What? What did she say? cried someone else. Gretel looked confused. Had they not been able to hear her? She must be out of her mind, another called. She's crazy. Is that child talking to us? They had heard her. Gretel turned red. Hansel cut in. If we do nothing, he said, the dragon will destroy the entire kingdom. We'll die. We might as well fight it. Join us, Gretel called desperately. Do something that you will be able to tell your children, and your children's children. Join us and fight the dragon. A single person cheered. We need you all, Hansel said, taking encouragement from this one enthusiast. Men and women, veterans and volunteers, anyone who can shoot an arrow or hold a weapon. We need you all. I volunteer, that single person called. Yes, cried another. Let's fight it. The crowd... The crowd began to hum with talk. Hansel and Gretel looked at each other. It was working. It was working. Are you crazy? Suddenly rang out above the hum and din. Heads turned. Hansel and Gretel looked around for the, for the source of the cry. You people must be nuts! It was a tall man, thin but muscular, with a bald head and a boxer's nose. He stood near the, near the back of the group. <clears throat> what do you think you're doing? He went on. Have you seen the dragon? Have you fought it before? It will kill you. It will kill all of you. Shut up, someone cried. We've got to do something, someone else called out. Die? Is that what we have to do? He paused. No one responded. I've seen this beast. I was there when we fought it the first time. You can't beat it. Arrows practically bounce off it. Off of it. It can kill four people at once, one with each of its four feet. And look at them, he said gesturing at Hansel and Gretel. They're children. Children! You're going to follow children into battle against a dragon? Are you all out of your minds? There was a pause. The subjects of Waxen turned to hear the prince and princess's reply. Hansel was red in the face. Gretel was pale. They stared out over their subjects. All was quiet. The children opened their mouths, but neither had anything to say. Ridiculous, the bald man cried, and he turned his back on Hansel and Gretel and walked into the tavern. The door closed with a slam. Wait, Hansel shouted. Wait! But people, but suddenly, people were dispersing, heading to the tavern or back to their homes. Would you rather die in a tavern or on a field of battle? Hansel cried. A tavern, someone shouted, and a few others laughed. More walks and turned their backs on Hansel and Gretel. Would you rather die having done nothing or having tried? Nothing, someone called, but those who would have laughed were gone now. The remaining villagers were silent. Will you follow us to fight the dragon? Hansel asked. More silence. If you will, Gretel said. 
Meet us at the castle in three days' time. Bring your weapon of choice. And, she added, with as much strength as she had left, bring your courage. As Hansel and Gretel made their way out of Waxend, Hansel turned to his sister. Well, he said. That went terribly. Yes, it did, she replied. They walked a little farther. Then she asked, ready to do it again? He sighed. I guess so. And they set off for the next town. Three days later, Hansel and Gretel waited in the castle courtyard. Scattered around it were groups of volunteers. Small groups. No more than a handful apiece. It's early yet, Gretel said. More will come. Hansel wrung his sweaty hands. I suppose, he said. The recruitment had been brutal. Town after town. Are you crazy? What do you think you're going to do? You're just children. They're just children. You're going to follow children into battle? There had been some who seemed ready to fight. A few. But most grew silent and wary when they heard they were expected to follow Hansel and Gretel. Little Hansel and Gretel. To war. But as the hours went by in the castle courtyard, people came. Raw recruits, carrying hunting bows and even pitchforks, made their way through the great gates. But there were also groups that were obviously veterans, men with thick necks and wooden shields and shining swords. There were women, too. Archers, mostly, but also women carrying swords and spears. One had a rake. We'd better get that one something proper to fight with, Hansel said, pointing. Gretel chuckled and nodded. By late afternoon, the children felt better. Before them stood some five hundred soldiers. It wasn't an enormous group, and it certainly wasn't a pretty group. But it would, but it would do. It would do. The children's chests swelled. They had done it. They had raised an army. The king and queen, however, were suddenly no longer so keen on Hansel and Gretel's plan. Wait, you're going out? said the queen when the children came before them that night. You never said anything about you going out. They're not going out, the king said. I will not allow it. The queen looked at the two children as they stood before her, stone-faced and armed. Please, she said. We've already lost you once. We couldn't stand losing you again. Please, my children. She began, softly, to cry. Their father came and knelt before them and took each by the hand. Each one by the hand. Please, my dears, he said. Understand. You are children. Why can't you send someone else out in your stead? Father, Gretel said. Maybe you should try to understand that yourself. She and Hansel drew their hands away. Their mother began to cry louder. Hansel and Gretel went to the stable to ready the ox cart with the, with the golden apples. The apples were secure, were held securely under a canvas tarp, and, except for the one apple they had given to the poor family and the other they had given to their mother, they were all there. As Gretel hitched the cart up to Betty, Hansel looked under the cover of the other. What about the wine? he said. Maybe we could get the dragon drunk. Gretel smiled, but he said, Really? Why not? It couldn't hurt, I guess, Gretel said, so they hitched up Ivy, too. When the sky was black and dotted with stars and the moon was just beginning to creep above the, the horizon, big and round and white, the two children led the ox carts out into the darkness. Hansel and Gretel looked back over their shoulders with pride. Behind them followed their army. They led them down a down a road to a large wood that stood not far from the castle. As they approached, the army began to whisper and point. The ground at the wood's edge seemed to glow, as if the moon was reflected by the very soil. It shimmered and sparkled, an earthbound milky way. Was it magic? The shoulders asked one another, or a sign from the dragon. But Hansel and Gretel confidently followed the path of white pebbles that they had scattered on the forest floor the day before, leading their army deep into the wood. To a large, grassy clearing. Here, for the first time, Hansel and Gretel told the army their plan. They would all stay in hiding until the dragon came for the bait. When it came, if it came, they would wait until it was distracted by the contents of the ox carts. Then, when it was released ready to defend itself, they would spring out of their hiding places and attack. <clears throat> you have every right to be afraid, Gretel told them. The dragon is big. The dragon is strong. The dragon has divided our families and taken our children and stolen our childhoods. But that is no reason to cower. Until we stand up to him, our lives will remain shattered. Our hearts will remain divided against themselves. Our heads will remain severed from our bodies. The moon was white and bright behind Gretel. Hansel stared at her. He didn't quite understand what she was talking about. 
But we will soon be healed, she went on. We will be healed. There will be blood first, but then there will be tears of joy. For our kingdom, she shouted. And our families, Hansel cried. And our children, they said together. The soldiers repeated their cry. In the silence that followed, all could hear the word children echoing off the thick trees and then waved through the black wood. Gretel readied the ox carts in the clearing. In the moonlight, the apples glowed golden, as if they possessed some fairy magic. Hansel unharnessed Ivy and Betty from the carts and tried to shoo them off, but the two oxen took to cropping grass nearby. Someone had to draw them by their halters far off into the woods, as far as possible from the field of battle. Don't worry, Ivy and Betty will be fine. I just wish I could say the same for everyone else. Leaving both carts out in the clearing, the two children retreated to the cover of trees to watch and wait. The forest made sounds, branches creaking, leaves whispering to one another, bats flapping between trees, looking for prey. Hansel plucked the grass at his feet. Gretel fingered a small dagger strapped to her belt. The volunteer soldiers began shifting uneasily. One did not venture into a wood at night, especially not when there was a dragon about. Sword handles became slick with sweat. Bowstrings were pulled back and released, pulled back and released. An owl hooted. Far off, they could hear its great wings beating against the air. No, they were not the wings of an owl. The beats were too far apart, too deep and distant. Hansel and Gretel peered out from under the cover of branches and leaves, but they could see nothing against the black, starry sky. And then there it was, in front of the moon, the long, thin silhouette of the dragon, its wings resting on the currents of night air. Its body was narrow, its four feet were tucked up underneath it, its long tail trailed out behind. Its wings were so thin that the moonlight shone through them. Stifled gasps arose from those who had never seen it. It was disgusting. It was enormous. From below, one could see the outline of its head, broad and viper-like. It looked nothing like the dragons in storybooks. Not even the dragon on the cover of this book, dear reader. Go ahead, take a look. That dragon, you see, was designed to alert you to the presence of a dragon in these pages. What it was not designed to do was make you sick with horror and awe. So the snake-like head, the eyes with no pupils, the translucent wings, those were all left off. You're welcome. Gretel made a sign to the army. Arrows were notched. Bows began to bend. The dragon disappeared from sight. Down below, all waited. Then it appeared again over the clearing, a little lower this time. It had seen the gold. It was circling. Gretel could hear her brother's breath coming quiet and quick. Hansel heard his sister's heartbeat mingling with his own. The dragon flew over them again, lower, and was gone. Then, ag then again, lower still. Then again. Gretel gestured at the sky. Arrows were aimed. They waited. The dragon flew over again. It was close enough that they could see the delicate scales of its skin gleaming in the moonlight, and its enormous, jagged talons. It flew over again, and this time the leaves on the trees shook from its passage. The trees became still. They waited. And waited. No dragon. Hansel and Gretel and all their soldiers stared up at the black starry sky. Empty, save for the moon. What happened? Gretel whispered to her brother. He shook his head and shrugged. They waited longer. The people began to feel uneasy. They let their bowstrings go slack. They rubbed the sweaty handles of their weapons, trying to find a good purchase. Where, they wondered, was the dragon? Darkness seemed to become heavier, more menacing. Glancing over their shoulders, they could see no more than a few feet into the forest. Then, through the silence, there ran a sudden whisper in the leaves. The whole army stopped breathing all at once. They stood still and listened. Hansel felt something beneath his feet. Carefully, he lowered himself and put his hand on the earth. He felt it again. Gretel, he whispered. The ground is shaking. I know, she whispered back. I feel it. It shook again. And again. Now all the men and women were looking frantically back and forth between the ground and the black forest that surrounded them. People began to whisper, What is it? And what's happening? Shh! Gretel, Gretel hissed. Quiet! But they wouldn't quiet. They were afraid. And then they saw it, weaving through the trees like an enormous snake with legs. Its wings were folded along its spine. Its wide, viper-like head swung back and forth as it moved, and its golden eyes were shining in the moonlight. It had come to take them from behind. 
and it was moving fast, so fast that the first villagers barely had time to scream before it was upon them. Oh, I forgot to mention, the little kids, they really shouldn't be here for this. Its mouth opened wide and snapped down on a woman with a bow. She hadn't even moved to defend herself. There hadn't been time. Now half of her was gone. Simultaneously, with a massive, taloned claw, the dragon swiped at a man with an axe. He landed on his back, ten feet away, without his internal organs. With that, the forest awoke. Some of the people tried to fight the giant creature. Most tried to run. Occasionally, with a horrible, tearing sound, the dragon would kill someone else. Hansel grabbed Gretel and held her tightly. Don't go out there. It'll kill us. All of us. And then he called at the top of his lungs. Retreat! 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 The woods became madness. Screams rose and died. People ran in all directions. Retreat! Hansel shouted. Retreat! It's no good, Gretel said to him. We've got to go. Where? Hansel asked. To the dragon. What? To lure it away. Run out ahead and make it chase us. It'll kill us, Hansel said. Gretel set her mouth. It's us or them. Hansel took a deep breath. He nodded at Gretel. Then he stood up and made his way toward the sounds of death. As he came near, he saw a man and a woman hiding behind a tree. The dragon was on the other side, its head moving this way and that, trying to see where they had gone. They had no weapons. They were shaking so badly they dropped them at their feet. Suddenly, the dragon darted to one side of the tree. They froze. Hansel cried out. The dragon turned in time to see Hansel scoop up a fallen spear and with one motion launch it the dragon's way. It glanced harmlessly off the dragon's black, snake-like scales. Hansel stopped. He stared. Oh, he thought. And then he thought, that's bad. Hansel spun to his left into the woods. The dragon followed. Get away, Gretel bellowed at the remaining troops. Get away! And they did. They ran. On the ground were many were many bodies, but many more were now escaping through the dark underbrush. The dragon was coming back. Gretel could hear it, feel it through the vibrations of the ground. She scrambled to hide. The dragon passed her, swift as water, its serpentine head swaying from side to side as it moved. From its mouth dripped blood. Suddenly, Gretel wondered what had happened to Hansel. The dragon headed straight for the gold at the center of the clearing. Briefly, Gretel considered going to look for Hansel, but instead, making certain she wasn't seen or heard, Gretel followed the dragon's path. She crouched behind a thick thorn bush at the clearing's edge. An axe lay not ten feet from her, out in the open. Gretel left it where it was. The dragon was standing beside the cart of apples. It turned its head this way and that, and then began to pace, its golden eyes glaring at the golden at the glowing mountain. Now the plan was working. Gretel realized, incredulous. The dragon couldn't figure out how to take all the apples at once. It was confused, frustrated. If only she still had an army to attack it. After a few minutes, the dragon seemed to notice the other cart. It approached it and tore at the canvas with its teeth, revealing the barrels. It picked up one of the barrels with its massive jaws. It crushed it. Wine poured out, some down its throat, most onto the ground. The dragon spit out the staves of the broken barrel shook itself, and resettled its wings on its back. It stood a moment, considering the stack of barrels. Then it took another in its mouth and drank it down just as it had the first one, but this time catching more of the wine in its throat. It seemed to like it. It did it again, and again, and again. Gretel could not believe what she was seeing. After the dragon had drunk six barrels of wine, it tried to rise into the air, but now its flight was wobbly and uncertain. The dragon is drunk, Gretel said to herself. She almost laughed. The dragon came back to the ground and drank down four more barrels of wine. Soon it was teetering back and forth, even when it walked. It came up to the cart with the golden apples, stuck its head underneath, and tried to lift it. Without a moment's hesitation, Gretel leaped from the thorn bush and, and began to sprint toward the dragon. She could see its black leg stuck out behind it, straining against the weight of the gold. She could see a thick pulsing vein running over the dragon's backward bending knee joint. Gretel stood for the stooped bleh, stooped for the axe without breaking her stride. She covered the distance between the axe and the dragon quickly. She lifted the weapon high and brought it down. 
The dragon screamed. It was a scream like nothing Gretel had ever heard before. She thought a hundred woodland creatures must all be dying at once. That was the sound. It pierced Gretel's head like a spear. The dragon turned. It saw the little golden-haired girl holding an axe, frozen by the sound of its scream. It watched, shocked, drunken, disbelieving, as the little girl dropped the axe and sprinted off toward the woods. Behind her, on the ground, was an axe, covered in blood, in black dragon blood, and two dragon toes. The dragon shook itself, bellowed once, and followed, limping, after her. Gretel heard the dragon coming. It sounded clumsy, heavy. The wine, she thought, and the toes, of course. She cursed herself for missing the vein. She had never wielded an axe before. Gretel wove through the trees, trying to keep ahead of it. Where was Hansel? What had happened to him? She could hear the dragon, wine-sodded and wounded as he was, catching up to her. Just get away from it, she thought. Get free of it, so I can find Hansel and we can get out of here. But how to get free of it? She thought of diving into a bush and letting the dragon run past. But it wouldn't run past. It would see her and kill her. She thought of, run of finding a narrow cave and crawling into it. Good idea, but where would she find a cave? And then, up ahead, she thought she saw a tree. It was an enormous pine, easily the tallest tree in this part of the forest. Without thinking, without any plan at all, she made for it. The pine's bristly branches started low to the ground and ran densely up the trunk. As soon as she arrived at its base, Gretel leaped onto the lowest ones and began to climb. She climbed around the forest... She climbed around to the far side of the trunk, in the hope that the dragon might not see her. When, a moment later, the dragon, drunk and limping, arrived at the tree's base, it was indeed confused. It seemed to know how she had gotten up in the tree, but she was forty feet up by the time it realized she was on the other side of the trunk. It set off after her. It tried to use its wings, but they would catch on the branches of the surrounding trees. It tried to climb, but the branches were too thin, and they went cracking and tumbling to the ground when it put its weight on them. So the dragon ended up digging its tough, its rough talons into the soft wood and ascending the trunk in leaps, smashing branches as it went. The pine needles brushed at Gretel's face as she climbed, and the sticky sap of the tree stuck to her palms. Her heart was pounding from fatigue and fear, but there was no chance to rest. The dragon was gaining. Its leaps at the trunk gained to ten feet or more, while its occasional slides back down, stripping whatever branches it hadn't smashed on the way up, gained her only a few seconds at most. Her feet reached for the next branch as she pulled herself up. Her feet her hand, I meant to say. In the sentence before this, I goofed. Her feet gained a secure hold and pushed her up to the next one. Go, she told herself. Go. And then she thought, where? She looked up, hoping that perhaps the top of the tree would be too thin for the dragon to follow her, to follow her onto. Perhaps it was, but it was also far above the other trees around it. Up there, the dragon could use its wings. Just climb, she told herself. Just climb. She reached up and grabbed onto the next branch. What? Well, excuse us, a voice said. Greta lost her grip and nearly fell out of the tree. Well, I never, said the voice. Some people. Gretel looked up. There was a thick mess of twigs and needles on the branch above her head. Well, said another voice, see who it is. And then a black head, with black eyes and a black beak, peered over the edge, peered over the branch above her. Well, I'll be, said the first raven, if it isn't Gretel. No, here, said the second. Tell her to be more considerate of a raven's nest, said the third. Has she no manners? Was she raised by apes? I think she was raised by a king and queen said the second. The ravens? In this very tree? Gretel could barely believe it. In fact, had it not been for all the strange, incredible things that had happened to her already, perhaps she wouldn't have. But after eating a house, and talking to the stars, and all the rest of it, well, she believed it just fine. Please, she said, help me. The sound of tearing wood came from below. She looked down. The dragon had just slid halfway down the trunk again. Please, there's a dragon after me. Help you, said the third raven, after what you've done to our nest. Oh, it's not so bad, says the, 
said the second raven. You're not the one who's going to fix it, though, are you? replied the third testily. I have my responsibilities, too. When food is scarce and my job gets difficult, do I complain? said the second raven. Yes, the other two ravens answered at once. Below, the dragon regained his footing and was climbing again. Please, Gretel cried. We can't help you, said the first. Yes, said the second. It's not what we do. Gretel looked down. The dragon was gaining quickly. She hadn't time to plead. Then move, she shouted, and clambered up onto their branch, just barely avoiding crushing their nest with her foot. Careful there, the third raven cawed. Gretel pushed past their branch, straining to keep ahead of the dragon. The first ra raven beat his wings beside her. I'm sorry for my companion's rudeness, he said. We understand the gravity of your situation. He looked down. No pun intended, of course. <clears throat> Gretel didn't know what he was talking about. Are you going to help me or not? She cried. I'm afraid we can't, the raven said. You see, we can only tell the future. We can't attempt to change it. It wouldn't do any good, you see. It's the future. There was an enormous crack from below, followed by, a t by terrible squawking. Gretel hurried her pace, but up ahead, the branches were thinning out to almost nothing. She was just about out of branches to climb to, and at any moment, the dragon will be able to fly. Just as Gretel realized there was nowhere else for her to go, around her head there was a frantic beating of wings and a very angry raven. Did you see that? Did you? Our nest! Gone! Crushed! Unbelievable! The height of inconsideration! The second raven fluttered up beside the third. Inconsiderateness, I think, is the word. Either one is acceptable, said the first judici judiciously. I don't care about the stupid word, the third raven cried. I care about our nest. Suddenly, Gretel was nearly blown off the tree by a swift burst of air. She turned. The dragon was hovering beside her, beating its translucent wings, staring at her with its terrible golden eyes. The dragon's mouth was no more than six feet away. He opened it. Kill! the third raven shrieked, and in one of the more comical acts of heroism Gretel had ever seen, the raven dove at the dragon's head. The dragon snapped at it, and the raven turned and headed back for the tree. Retreat, he called. Temporary retreat. Now, the third raven was not afraid of dying. As the ravens have already implied, there are some things that they do, and some things that they and some things they do not. Ladder is of the dying is of the latter group. Of course, getting trapped in the stomach of a dragon is, even for a creature that cannot die, an indescribably unpleasant experience. Though not quite as unpleasant, I would imagine, as getting out again. The dragon flew closer to Gretel. It snapped at her feet. Gretel could smell its hot, horrible breath, see the blood and the foam mingling with its long, sharp teeth, hear the beating of its enormous heart out of time with the beat of its enormous wings. It lunged at her, not only with its head, but with its entire body. It knocked the branch she was standing on clear off the tree. She fell and grabbed hold of the only thing she could. The dragon's neck. The dragon reared backwards. Perhaps it had, it, if it had had, sorry, perhaps if it had had its full wits about it, it might have managed to get her off its back. But as it was drunk, it circled in the air and snapped at its own shoulders, but could not manage to get her off. At a girl! cried the first raven. Yeehaw! yelled the second. Incoming! crowed the third, and it dove for the dragon's eyes. The dragon twisted away from the attack and beat its huge wings three or four times to rise above the tree. The ravens followed. Up, up through the black, starry night they rose. Gretel held on tightly to the dragon's supple, scaly skin as its muscles rippled beneath her. Occasionally, the dragon would twist to try to snap at her, but she was too close to its head. She worried that it might use its claws to get at her, as a dog gets up at its fleas, but a dragon is not a dog, and that, and that hadn't seemed to occur to it yet. From time to time, the ravens would have reappeared beside Gretel and make diving attacks at the dragon's eyes. Avenge the nest, cried the third raven. A bird's nest is his cap castle, cried the second, finally getting into it. Habeas corpus, cried the first, somewhat tangently. Ten tangentially? I don't know what that means. 
So the dragon kept rising. The air became cold around Gretel's hands. Her knuckles turned blue. Soon, she and the dragon were higher than the ravens could fly. But the dragon didn't seem to mind. Its transparent wings took them higher and higher and higher still, until Gretel had to breathe hard to get any air at all, and her head began to spin. Still, still the dragon climbed. And then Gretel heard a voice. It was low, and it was and soft, and creepy. It said, fee fi fo fesh. I think I smell child flesh. Gretel looked up. There, very, very close, was the moon. His eyes were hard and glistening, like diamonds. His white lips were parted around his sharp, ivory teeth. He was watching Gre Gretel as the dragon rose. Oh boy, Gretel muttered. Snap! The cold breath of the moon froze the sweat on Gretel's neck. The dragon felt it, felt it too, and turned. The moon snapped again. The dragon twisted. The moon wanted nothing to do with the dragon. Not that the moon is afraid of dragons. The moon is not afraid of anything except the sun. And only then can the sun call. And only then, because the sun calls him names, and he's a, and he does not appreciate that. Still, the moon does not generally bother dragons. Of course, dragons do not often have children on their backs, and the moon rarely passes up an opportunity to taste the succulent, tender meat of a child. The dragon twisted, and the moon snapped, snapped his teeth. Twist, snap, twist, snap, twist, snap. Gretel fumbled at her belt. She wanted to be eaten by the moon even less than by the dragon. She took out her little dagger. As the dragon twisted and the moon prepared to snap again, she plunged the dagger into the dragon's neck with all her might. It did not pierce the scales, but the dragon turned toward her and toward the moon. It screamed. Gretel fell through the air. Her arm was covered in black dragon blood. Above her, the dragon was screaming its terrible scream and writhing back and forth. Above that, the moon was trying to spit the disgusting dragon meat out of his mouth and cursing himself for missing Gretel's tender flesh. She watched them disappear into the blackness as she fell. Gretel would die any moment now. That was clear. She had been thousands of feet into the air, higher than the ravens could fly. Soon she would hit the ground and all of her bones would be broken, and her brain would smash through her skull, and her heart would stop beating immediately. Or, she thought, she would land on a sharp branch and be skewered like a piece of meat. Her speed increased as she fell. The cold air grew a little warmer. She could see the stars twinkling at her from above. Then she hit something. It was soft, and she rolled off it and kept falling. She hit another soft thing, and then rolled off that. She hit a third soft thing, and then rolled off that and into the branches of a tree. She fell all the way down the tree, hitting its leafy branches as she fell. Then she hit the ground. She was not dead. She sat up and looked around. She was covered with black feathers. She heard a fluttering sound and saw three woozy black ravens, missing most of their plumage, settled on a branch overhead. Ow, said the first raven. Ow, said the second raven. Ow, said the third raven. That hurt, they all said at once. You saved me, Gretel said. Not intentionally, said the third raven. You just happened to hit us on your way down, said the second. Of course, we knew that would happen, said the first. We just didn't know it would hurt that much. Suddenly, Gretel leapt to her feet and ran off into the woods. Manners, said the third raven. We saved her life, and she just runs off without a thank you, said the second. She's going to find her brother, said the first. Oh, yes, said the second. We knew that, said the third. Gretel tore through the wood, branches slapping at her face, vines grabbing at her ankles. Hansel, she cried. Hansel! The creepy, child-eating moon shone down through the branches of the trees. She ran by his light. Ahead, in the shadow of a pine sapling, lay a body. It was face down on the ground. Gretel slowed and approached it. She turned it over and quickly turned away. It was not Hansel. It had a gash across its chest and half a head. Gretel got up, swallowed bile, and began to run again. She saw another body lying half in a bush. She ran to it and pulled it out. A woman. Her chest was caved in, and her neck was bent at an unnatural angle. Gretel turned and ran on. Bodies. More bodies. Gretel hadn't realized so many had fallen. There were dozens of them, scattered, lifeless, throughout the woods. But where was Hansel? Where was he? Was he as lifeless as these bodies she found in the underbrush? Was he as still? As cold? Where was he? 
Then the forest floor began to shine. White pebbles. The white pebbles were lighting her way. She followed them. They brought her to the clearing. There, standing at the clearing center, was Hansel, covered in blood. She ran to him and threw her arms around him. I'm okay, he said hoarsely. It's not my blood. I was helping the wounded. She nodded and held him. They followed the path of shining pebbles out of the woods. As they walked, the creepy moon illuminated the forest floor and the bodies scattered among the silent trees. Some faces were covered in blood, with eyes open but dead. Others were crushed beyond recognition. A hand was lodged in a crook of a branch. A young woman lay face down, her hair spread out about her bloody head like a halo. The children hid their faces. Lost lives. Empty bodies. Hansel and Gretel held on to held each other as they walked through the quiet, awful night. Okay, take a breath. Last story. Here we go. But not this episode. Wahahahaha. Because <laughs> it's getting sort of late for me. And, you know. <clears throat> I don't want to, you know, stay up too late and disturb people. Well, not stay up too late, but record too late, because then I'd be making noise and people are going to want to sleep, so I don't want to disturb that for them. But, um... Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you had a good time. Can't wait to vibe with you next time. Remember to drink water and fuck bitches. Bye!